listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you thrive no matter what in your marriage, no matter what's going on in your marriage, no matter where you are, to help you move from hurting to thriving. That is kind of my thing. How do you help people to thrive? Now, if you're listening a little bit closely in the background, you may be hearing some outside noises, a few bugs and insects and other noises out there. I'm actually recording this uh, outside today. Uh, The big reason is because it is a beautiful morning, and I decided since I'm going to have to be inside on the phone coaching most of the day that I wanted to just kind of spend a little bit of time on the back porch in the cool breeze so you get to join me there. Okay, so let's jump in a little bit here. Today, I'm going to talk about affairs, infidelity affairs, a couple of elements of that. As you know, I've been answering questions from uh, different listeners, and today uh, that's where it's coming from, from actually two different people. One's a basic piece of information, and the other is kind of a more specific question about what happens right after that affair uh, comes out and and what happens after it ends. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, If you're interested in having one of your questions answered, if you've got some burning question about what's going on in your relationship, well, you can pop it over to me by sending me an email at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. Now, I'm looking for kind of the Goldilocks of questions. I can't promise that I'll answer everything that's submitted. I can't even uh, promise that I'll answer all of the great questions, the ones that are in that Goldilocks place. Uh, but I do my best to keep on plugging through. So if your question is very, very specific, like it is about your situation only and maybe doesn't even apply anywhere else, like you're asking some specific question about your specific situation, that's really a coaching question. That's what you want to get some help on through coaching. If you have a very broad question, like how do I save my marriage? How do I even start? What even happened here? Well, that's kind of what the purpose of my system is. You can find that at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Now, little hint, if you have a coaching question, that's still a great place to start because we have a couple of free coaching pieces that are included. One is uh, a free week of my VIP virtual coaching program where you can submit your question for me to answer. Uh, We have conference calls every week. We have resources and tools and all kind of stuff. And all you have to do is when you grab the system, grab your free week. Some people are like, you know, I I need some more than is in the system. It's there. You grab that and get started. Uh, There's stuff in there uh, about how to write your apology letter, how to create a plan, all kinds of stuff that's included in VIP A lot of people just need the basic system, so that's why it's divided out. You can grab the basic system at savethemarriage.com, but why not grab that free week while you're there? Also, um, just to kind of make sure you're getting started, we include a free uh, 15-20 minute uh, quick start coaching program. It's a free time with one of my coaches as part of that. You just grab that at your download page. So um, that's how you deal with those more specific or very general questions. So let's jump in to your question today. So the question today really is about affairs. The first person who just wanted to be completely anonymous, uh, talked about the fact that her husband has gotten involved in, in an, uh, 
inappropriate uh, relationship that turned physical. So it started as emotional infidelity, uh, led to physical infidelity, started out at the office. Um, this person writes it, you know, they'd been disconnected, uh, knew that, but didn't really think that this person who her husband, all of their marriage had said, I will never do that. And it's one of those places where both of them had committed to get together that they would never be involved in that. And yet there they were, finding themselves stuck in the situation they never thought they would be in, which is pretty typical. I don't hear many people saying, you know, I kind of saw uh, this because we kind of agreed that affairs would be something we would include in our relationship, right? That's, that's really the case. Now, obviously, there are some people who have different structures to their relationship, but I'm talking in the typical relationship. So the question is, why did the affair happen? So there are actually two pieces to that puzzle, and you need to understand both of them because otherwise you're going to be upset. Now, let me be very clear. I'm talking about um, the typical situation. There are a couple of more atypical situations where affairs are involved that really are more about addiction, uh, more about uh, a level of addiction that has uh, driven the person uh, to try to get some fix, as you you might see it. And I, I want to say this at the same time. There is an addictive layer to affairs once they start. But now when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about people who are actually addicted to either sex or to uh, kind of that whole attraction thing, that romance piece. And sometimes uh, they are serial affair people. Okay, so today let's just bracket out that we're talking about the typical affair and how that happens. So there are two pieces. There's one piece that is about both people. And then there's another piece that's about the person who committed the affair. So both people, meaning the people in the marriage, both spouses are a part of the first piece. So the two pieces, one, disconnection in the relationship, two, not having the boundaries in place to protect the relationship during the disconnection. So if you've been listening very long, if you are familiar with my program, my system, you know how important connection is in human existence. We are wired to be connected to each other. That's just the way we come into the world. And the place where we get the most intimate of that connection is in a marriage. Uh, There's no other place that you are that tightly wound to somebody else's existence and your futures are intertwined together. So part of what happens in that is that we are naturally striving for this deep connection But when it's not there, it's almost a wounding. In fact, we know that physical disconnection, that let's say emotional disconnection, triggers the same physical uh, pain points in the brain. In other words, we actually feel a physical disconnection when we have emotional disconnection. And we usually try to get out of pain. That's the process that we humans do. So a lot of times people don't realize in their marriage that that's what they're trying to get to. They're not, they don't realize they're trying to build in that connection. And because of that, they don't, therefore, build it in. They just kind of assume that it's going to take care of itself. You know, the, the beginning parts of a relationship, we are pretty intentional about making that connection, mostly because it's just it's a drive within us. You know, if you've ever watched those people who are madly in love and remember that stage for yourself, you remember that there was nothing going to keep you away from that relationship. You're desperate to be in connection with that person. 
Over time, though, that infatuation level that kind of starts the whole process going does fade. And we have to become intentional about that. That's true in every relationship. Now, we've been sold this false bill of goods by culture that somehow we are supposed to feel this hotness for our spouse always. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that at some point it just goes cold. It just goes away. But we go from a raging fire to burning embers. And the problem is we've got to kind of keep stoking those embers or they go out. I mean, a raging fire, it's easy. Once it's lit, it burns through the fuel. But once the fuel is gone, what do we do? You have to put more fuel on. You have to keep it going intentionally. So if you think about that infatuation period as basically throwing a match on dry kindling out in the forest and suddenly you get this fire, that's the beginning point. It didn't take much, but once that spark is gone, it flies through the fuel. And once the fuel is gone, the question is whether you're going to go intentionally gathering in the fuel to put back on it and keep it going. If you don't, which is very typical in our culture, if you fail to nurture the fire, it cools to the point that it disconnects us. Because when we let the fuel go out, it goes cold, we get cold, we're trying to find the warmth somewhere else, and you start looking for it other places. Some people find it in relationships with friends or with kids, which still is not exactly where it needs to be, but at least it is, is not going into romantic relationships. Sometimes we throw ourselves into jobs or uh, hobbies or other places. But sometimes people find that connection with another person. So that's element one. You have disconnection in the relationship. And that disconnection leads to the need, the feel of the need to, to find it somewhere else. And so you start looking elsewhere outside of the marriage Sometimes it starts out as just somebody to confide in. And sometimes that confiding is even about the relationship and the problems with the relationship. And that begins to fuel a fire because it leads to this um, inappropriate connection. The emotional energy that should be in the marriage is suddenly being diverted elsewhere. So element one is this disconnection. Now, the truth is every marriage is going to go through ebbs and flows of connection and disconnection. It's like being at the beach. There's a high tide and a low tide. Sometimes the tide is rushing in. Sometimes the tide is rushing out. And sometimes you can kind of figure out what it is. I mean, when I was a kid, I just knew the tide came in and out. That's all I knew. Over time, I figured out that through science, (laughs) through teaching in class, that the moon and the sun were affecting that tide and that that tide was really traveling across. So there are some reasons that we might be able to come up with. But the fact is that disconnection and reconnection is part of the natural rhythm of marriage. If we were intentional about it, though, we go, okay, I'm feeling the disconnection. I've got to find a way to reconnect. In fact, in the best of relationships, couples are able to say, hey, I'm feeling a little disconnected. What can we do about that? But in a relationship where they're either not aware or the disconnection has led to anger and frustration, instead of fixing it, it grows. It begins to kind of eat away at the foundation of the relationship. And so a disconnected relationship 
is really the responsibility of two people. Both people involved in a relationship are responsible for the connection there. Either one can say, hey, I'm disconnected. What can we do about this? That's a lot easier to do when it's a, a lower level of disconnection. Once the gulf begins to grow, it begins harder and harder to reach across that gulf and pull someone closer to you. You have less energy to do that, less desire to do that, and there becomes a growing vulnerability in the relationship. So in a vulnerable place, if we are not careful, we can put ourselves and the relationship at risk, which leads us to the second element of the issues in an affair. And that is that somebody didn't hold on and honor the boundaries that we have to protect a relationship. So we all have individual boundaries, the things that we do, we won't let people do to us, the ways we say it's not okay for you to treat me that way. And then there are marital boundaries that people can agree to, or at least one person can decide to, to protect the relationship. So when you notice that somebody's giving too much attention, somebody outside of the relationship is giving too much attention, you make sure that you manage that. Or maybe you feel some attraction to somebody, and so you make sure that you distance yourself and protect the relationship. So this is the place where each individual has to kind of figure out what it is that makes sense in monitoring the relationship. When is a friendship crossing a line? When is an attraction pulling you into the connection rather than something else? So that's an individual place. For an affair to happen, you have to have the disconnection because when you're fully connected with a spouse you're going to protect that and have loyalty to that. But if the disconnection is there and the boundaries are not held, that's when affairs happen. So that kind of answers the first part of, of this today. A bound, uh, the affairs are caused by a lack of boundaries. At the same time, there's a lack of connection. I talk about a lot of this in my uh, book, Recovering from the Affair. This really is a book that I designed for either one person to use or both people to work through. And that, that's always preferable. But even if one does, there's a lot of benefit to that. You can learn more about that book by going to theaffairbook.com, theaffairbook.com. And uh, that will help you uh, see how to uh, take that and, and work with it. It comes both in a uh, ebook version and in a printed version. Okay, so let's drop to the second question. The second question is from C. And C says, can you provide some insight on what can be expected during the immediate aftermath of discovering an affair? She said her husband wanted to leave the marriage, um, and it turned out that he was involved in another person, and he felt he had fallen in love. So then he decided to end that relationship, but he seems to have kind of fallen into a uh, depression. Uh, He's morose, sullen, very disconnected, and he's having a hard time getting into a new uh, mental state. And so the question is, what is the normal emotional phase in the first several weeks after adultery? So let's talk about this on two different levels. I want to talk about it first uh, from a purely addictive level. You see... Affairs are fueled by infatuation. In fact, that's why a lot of people feel like they have fallen in love with this other person. They're infatuated with the other person. And because our culture doesn't distinguish that very well, they make the mistake of believing that that uh, infatuation must mean that they are in love with this person, that it's real, that it's different than they've ever felt before. 
A lot of times what they're forgetting is that they felt that before with their spouse. But over time, uh, we tend to uh, have that fade, especially when there is anger and hurt involved. So the infatuation, first of all, makes it appear to be uh, real love. The second thing that happens, though, is it lights up our brain like a Christmas tree. It acts like a drug. It pumps in dopamine and all kinds of other feel-good neurotransmitters in our brain and in our body. And so our whole body is kind of suddenly brought alive. And because of that, it's very addictive. In fact, we end up trying to chase after that, that hit throughout our lives in lots of different ways. Um, I remember when I was talking with um, a, a recovering addict in my office, and he said, you know, that first hit felt so good. No other hit ever felt that way, and I kept chasing that first initial feel-good. That's kind of the thing about addiction. It's always chasing that feeling good, you know, trying to get that hit. And so in a normal life where you are maybe dealing with jobs and uh, the, all of the pressures of that and home life and all the pressures of that and kids growing up and the pressures of that and the disconnection in the marriage and the pressures of that and growing older and lots of other elements, suddenly along comes this feel-good hit. Here's the problem with anything that's addictive. When you take it away, the brain is going to crave that hit. In fact, the brain's kind of gotten used to it being there, and that external thing causing the hit means that when the brain doesn't have any more, the brain actually drops to a lower level of functioning, that it doesn't have even the normal amount of those neurotransmitters, and so suddenly you, you notice that feeling bad, feeling low, feeling depressed. And so if you take away the drug, suddenly you have the consequences of that with a crash, And so one of the very typical uh, things after an affair is this crash that leads to craving. And sometimes people are very legitimately saying they want to end the relationship and come back to the marriage, and they find themselves drawn back into it. They rationalize lots of ways of saying, you know, I need to have a closure conversation, or I need to check and make sure that uh, my affair partner is okay, or some other rationalization, which is really a way of kind of trying to get close to that hit again, trying to get another little taste of that drug. And I put that drug in quotes, but, you know, get another taste of that again. And suddenly they're back in. It's kind of like the alcoholic says, you know, I'm just going to go sniff the beer or sniff the alcohol. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to go to the bar and see my friends there. I'm just going to, you know, go by the liquor store and see how the cashier's, you know, some excuse to suddenly put themselves in a dangerous vicinity to their drug. And what happens? They get pulled right back in. So the first thing I want you to kind of understand is this from an addictive perspective, They're dealing with something of an addiction without being willing to call it that. They don't want to see this as an addictive process, yet that's exactly how it's functioning. So part one of this understanding is to see that part of what's happening is it's kind of like that withdrawal, coming away from that good feeling that was created by that relationship. So now let's bring in the second piece, and that's grief. There's a loss element too, 
And so even though that's kind of the dark shadow side that people don't want to think about because, you know, they know it's an illicit relationship and it shouldn't have happened and you shouldn't have to grieve over something like that. We have a natural process built into us that when something in our life that's meaningful and significant disappears, we have a sense of grief. If somebody dies, we have grief. If a friend moves away, we have grief. If we lose our job that we really loved or even loved just the income of, we have grief. Grief is a response to loss. So if somebody has established this relationship that has fantasy elements to it and reality elements to it, has places of really fulfilling a role in their life, even if it's inappropriate, when it's gone, it leads to grief. And so the second thing that you can see, second lens to understand this, this is to see it from that grief lens, that they've lost something that they consider to be um, important. And so that's the second way of understanding. And, and I really think that both of these are happening simultaneously. At the same time, the body is crashing from having withdrawal from that feel-good hit from the adrenaline and the dopamine and all the other pieces of that puzzle um, that are hard for us to kind of understand from a uh, layman's place, but happens biochemically in our brain. We have that withdrawal. And at the same time, we're having uh, that grief response. So the other piece of this is that you're then looking back and going, why am I missing this in my marriage? So there's a comparison piece that also comes in. I'm missing this in my marriage. It was really here. This must be more real than my relationship. So it creates a lot of doubt about the marriage. That's kind of the immediate after effect of what happens when someone ends the relationship. Now, here is the big question mark. It's hard to predict how long it's going to take to kind of come back to a normal state. Part of that depends on how clean the cut is, how clean they get away from somebody. For instance, if they just stop all contact and stop reading the old texts and stop reading the old emails and the love letters and anything else that was exchanged, it's easier for the brain to get back to normal than if it's getting slow, hopeful little hits of that, ways we remind ourselves, get many hits of that by going back and thinking about you know, what was there and what could have been and all those other pieces. So that's a piece of somebody willing to make a complete clean cut and allowing the brain to kind of air out, uh, to, to return to normal. That's the addictive side. The second piece that's hard to predict is how long it takes somebody to move through a grief process. There's no time frame for it. And this is a grief that is not so much accepted in our culture. We don't want to see this level of grief, don't want to claim it as that, uh, because that says something about the relationship that most people don't want to admit to or look at. So sometimes that grief gets kind of stuck because it's not getting processed. Now, as the brain kind of re returns to a normal chemistry and as the grief subsides, the question is, can the person recommit to working on the relationship and be invested in the reconnection? Without connection, without reconnecting, it's very hard to heal that hurting relationship. So then from there, it's a question uh, really of commitment. You know, sometimes we have to look at the fact that even if we feel bad, we have to do something. We have to move to a better place. 
it can be like, you know, the job ends, that's the job you've always loved, but it's gone. What do you do? You can get stuck in that process or you can say, okay, time for me to move into something different. It's the same with this. Do people uh, decide that they're going to move beyond where they are stuck because they choose to? And and that is one of the determining factors in recovering from an affair. The person may say, you know, this felt good, but it wasn't what I wanted. And I want to return to the relationship. And I don't necessarily feel like doing that, but I'm going to. I talk about this in my work as the acting as if, making a commitment to, and a lot of people have uh, treated that as kind of pretending. Acting is on two different levels. If you're in a play, you're, you're playing a role, right? You're acting. But if I decide to do something, I'm acting on that too. There, there, so there are two meanings to that word, act. Action or pretending. And I'm talking about action. You act as if you choose to return to the relationship and act on that relationship ready to work on that. That's a commitment, though, that the person who has been involved in the affair has to make for themselves. They're going to have to move through uh, the uh, pain of the grief. They're going to have to work through that addictive kind of hit and return to what they choose to do. They decide to work on. And how long that takes is the, the tough part. I can't predict that. I can only tell you the reasons that you're probably seeing the emotions that you're seeing. Okay, so that kind of covers why an affair happens and what happens when they close that off uh, and uh, answers those two questions. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. If you need some more help on dealing with the affair, do check out my book, Recovering from the Affair. Again, you can find that at theaffairbook.com. That's theaffairbook.com. And if you're ready to rebuild your relationship, if you're ready to get on a better path, check out my system at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. And do remember to go ahead and grab that free week of VIP and do sign up for that free coaching session with one of my coaches. That will give you a great head start and give you the tools you need. And know that my, me and my team, we are pulling for you as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.